It was never about the result. It was never about the final picture that I would end up with. It was about getting up off the floor and stopping to cry and saying, I'm going to go make something. Hey friends, welcome to the first episode of Inside the Creative Process. I'm your host, Alicia Peterson-Baskell. I'm so excited to begin this journey with all of you. We are going to speak with some of the most innovative and intuitive artists across so many genres, including visual art, dance, theater, opera, music, creative writing, poetry, and that's just in the first eight episodes. So please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. On today's inaugural episode, I have the pleasure of talking with Carolyn Mara. Carolyn is a multimedia artist who started as a conceptual photographer and has transitioned into performance art and painting. Her large-scale abstract paintings are created using a mop as her paintbrush. You may know Carolyn from her incredibly popular social media accounts where she shares her work, her process, and her family. Personally, I've been following her on Instagram for years and I'm constantly blown away by her creativity and her willingness to be so fully herself. Carolyn's work has won several awards and is currently being exhibited in a joint show in Miami, Florida, and in a solo show in Houston, Texas. Please welcome the incredible... Carolyn Mara. I'm so happy to be here with you. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Yeah, for sure. I really want to s- sort of get to know you and take it way back to when did you recognize that you were an artist or that you are an artist? I feel like I've been doing something creative my whole life. I definitely grew up with creativity being fostered as a child. My my mother did photography and we had a dark room in our in our house, in our attic. And so she would develop and print pictures long before the one hour photo. And my father did music and he did, he was an architect. And so just being creative was part of life and was a good thing. You know, it was a, a positive experience. And I was an only child for almost 11 years before my same parents had another child, but they didn't for a decade. So I was by myself a lot and I just kind of found ways to be creative on my own and play on my own. And I think that that added to it as well. And when I first was able, like I would take art and class, I'm in school. And then I started photography. I think um, I was given a camera in middle school and then I really started doing it in high school. And uh, when I went to college, my father said, look, I think you should get a classic education, pick English or psychology or anything. And if you want to do art, you can do it later. And so I did psychology and I minored in an art with an emphasis in photography. And then I moved to New York and worked in an art gallery, a photography gallery. And then I applied to grad school. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. So I'm like, okay, I'll wait, but I'm still going to do it. And I didn't, the first year I applied, I didn't get in to places that I really wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And so I chose, like I applied writing college and, and so I worked for a year in a gallery, which is a really good experience. I, I knew I loved it, but I didn't have direction. I kind of, my first year when I applied, I just picked my best everything and I submitted (laughs) that. And the director of the gallery said to me, you'd be better off going and taking 
a thousand pictures of mailboxes that sucked and submitting those and saying why you did it than these amazing 25 pictures. And I just, I, I had learned what I liked and I was following what I liked, but I didn't understand a concept of what it meant to create a project or what it meant to have a focus and a direction. And that's something that I learned from then, but also through my graduate school experience, I focused in photography and video art and installations. So that's what I did then, but I learned so much more in grad school that has brought me, I never did any kind of painting, but I feel like the classic art education that you get, it's so much more about what you're feeling, what you're trying to convey, what you're doing, putting something together that is meaningful to you, that is pulling any, any kind of emotion out of other people. You know what? Like I piss a lot of people off, but then I'm doing something right because they're feeling something and they don't understand that, you know, they, but if you don't feel something when you see it, when it's happening or afterwards, then to me, that's not what art is about. So I think that that classic education that I got has transcended into everything that I'm doing now, which is a departure from where I started hundred percent, but it's kind of gradually happened. And and everything, I mean, I've evolved as an artist so much over the years, and I'm somewhere so different than where I started. So much of what you're saying resonates for, for me, and I think is really good information for a lot of artists out there, because that is just such great advice to focus on one thing. And I can see that in your work. I can see that deep dive into all of your different projects. And on your website, I love to be able to just like view them as the full project and your self-portraits, you know, there's such a repetition. And then that repetition as a viewer, I get to dive deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm sure as the artist, it's even more. That feeling behind the work is really what I'm after and what I'm excited to talk to you more about. After you went and got your master's of fine arts degree. What happened next? When I finished art school, what I was, I had both my own personal project, but I fell in with somebody else to a really interesting political project that I kind of spent a lot of my time on right after grad school. It was a project about uh, detainees in Guantanamo. And it was more of a curatorial piece that we did her husband was a uh, lawyer for some of these detainees and they didn't trust the lawyers because there was no reason to trust anybody that walked in there. And so what the lawyers did with these specific group of men, they were all from Yemen. They went to Yemen, they spent time with their families, they photographed their families, their belonging, their children. And then they went back to Guantanamo and they sat down and they brought messages from their family and they showed them pictures. And it was their way to gain trust from these people because you know, a soldier could came, come in and say they were a lawyer and then completely screw them. So they went above and beyond. So those photographs became a project and we ended up doing an audio component that had to do with their trials, a video component that had to do with interviews with a lawyer. And so it was a complete departure. And each thing that I've done, I've definitely learned from, and this was approaching art again in a completely different way. I wasn't taking the pictures. I wasn't making anything. I was taking the information, the photographs that the lawyers took and turning them into art. I believe that art can be absolutely anything. I mean, I have math 
of my father's that's framed in my entrance and I've made it art. So in all the things that I've done, I found ways to make art out of things that might not necessarily be considered art. And that is an example of that. And so from there, I guess I had a few years where I stopped and I had my two boys and I was photographing more for myself, but I left a little bit the quote unquote art world that I was in. You know, I had gone to grad school. I was doing these projects. I was trying to get them into different shows and into the places in the country. And then I took a break like that kind of subsided and I just photographed my children and I had two babies. And then before Instagram existed, I started a blog with two friends that lived in two different cities. I was in Florida. One was in Texas and one was in Missouri. And every day for three years, every single day for three years, we each posted one picture taken from our cell phone onto the blog. It could be our breakfast. It could be something creative or something, whatever it was, but like, I'll be damned if I didn't post that picture. And that was before Instagram existed, which is really interesting. I mean, it kind of ended because then we started posting our stuff on Instagram. So it was just easier. It had been there, but we had this, this conversation via these shitty iPhone you know, <laughs> one pictures that it didn't matter, but this was like grad school friend and I, you know, it was our way of communication. So starting that documentation through pictures happened with that. And that kind of kept my, you know, I had this degree in photography, but I wasn't really using it, but at least I could keep my, my photo vibe going through doing this. And, and then Instagram started and I started doing all of these you know, the WHP project, which was something that Instagram did for a long time where it was a contest and they would give a, a word for the weekend. And as I kept getting selected and winning those, my audience kept growing. Like that's really how I grew my base audience in the beginning. And that became like a fun thing that I was doing. And then I started going through some personal struggles in my marriage. My brother-in-law was really sick and my husband was having a hard time. In those years, I really turned to my photography and my self-portraiture. I wasn't trying to create a project when it happened. I was just doing it for myself. I was doing it because I was liked to photograph. And what I learned in the process of doing it, that it was never about the result. It was never about the final picture that I would end up with. It was about getting up off the floor and stopping to cry and saying, I'm going to go make something like, how do I feel? What do I want to represent? And it became this dance, this experience that I would have. And then when it was over, I would have the picture. I'd be proud of the picture. I would usually post the picture, even though I would say nothing about why it was happening. It was kind of, I would maybe say something like, oh, it's sunny today. I don't know. But for me, it helped me through that moment and life experience basically formed this project over a period of time that became something else. Like I started realizing how much that it was helping me and wanting to do it and, you know, saying, wow, okay, like snap out of it, Carolyn, what are you going to do today? How are you going to make yourself feel better? What, and I would start taking notes and I would, I would do these like brain dumps when I wanted to come up with an idea and then I would challenge myself. And so once all of that started to happen, I decided with some friends that I had made and we were talking about teaching iPhone classes that I would start to try to teach some kind of creativity classes. It's something I did for five years. I started like a 
iPhone photography school with them. And I really did, one of them taught the basics of iPhone photography. One of them taught like documenting your family. And I taught finding ways to be creative with your phone and with taking pictures. And it was something that I was doing, but then figuring out how to explain it was actually more complicated than I thought it was going to be at first. And then there came a lot of joy in seeing other people doing it and what was coming out of it. We made some books, like I would finish a class and then everybody would send in a picture and I would make like an artifact uprising book that they could buy. So now I have these books of all these different projects that was really about pulling your emotions out and taking a picture and I had one student who became a good friend and she signed up for a class. And in her introduction, she said, I'm a scientist. I don't consider myself really creative, but I like the idea of this. And I, I want to try, but you know, don't hold your breath kind of. And she ended up taking all of the classes I ever taught. And I, I really think she's an amazing artist and she's found ways to use her scientific background and the way that she can do certain things with computers or with you know, things that I wouldn't figure out and make it art. It's just, it's so cool. And it was so rewarding to watch other people transform what they thought that they couldn't do into meaningful pieces of art. So that is just so beautiful. I love hearing that because it's something I'm deeply interested in too. Cre that creative flow is not just available to somebody who quote unquote calls themselves an artist. You know, there's an art to becoming an artist. And there's definitely a lot that goes into it, but creativity is available to everyone at I any time. Everyone has a creative bone in their body. They just have to find it. They just have to find what they can do or use or think to pull it out of them. And it's there. It's just some people, some people will say like, I'm not artistic. Well, maybe you could draw a stick figure and not a, you know, beautiful portrait with a charcoal, but that doesn't mean that you're not an artist in some form. You just don't know what form it is yet. Anything. Yeah, absolutely. I hear people say, I can't draw a straight line to save my life. And it's like, well, then don't <laughs> draw yeah. a squiggly line. That's actually more interesting. <laughs> exactly. What do you think it was about your class and about you that, you know, you said it was hard at first to really kind of articulate the feeling behind it. How did, how do you think you got there with your students? We would do like little assignments, like the brain dump assignment. And I would give them direction of things to write about or to look at, or we, you know, I came up with this like ad lib game of picking a feeling and a color and an object that reminded them of their childhood and then going and finding that. Sometimes people need really concrete direction to start making things. And if you know, you can say the color blue thinking it's going to be blue, but maybe what are the tones of blue make you feel? I did another one with a song where they had to pick a song and then they had to pick a line from the song and then they had to make an image of that line in the song. But some people that have a more almost analytical mind, or even if you don't, if you feel like you have a creative mind, you just need a direction to get yourself going. And once that happens and you do all these different assignments, then you pick the image that you liked most of the assignments and try to make five more in that same realm. But you liked it the most, so you feel good about it. And that worked best for you. Not everything's going to work for everyone. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, you like create this body of work over a few weeks that is art. You've now created yourself some art where you're being told exactly what to do and pull something out. And 
also about not being hard on yourself, like show your fails. And then hearing other people be like, wow, you thought that was a failure? That's kind of awesome. Or, you know, it doesn't need to be in focus for it to be, you know, maybe maybe that picture out of focus is so cool. You should do 10 more and they should all be out of focus. Where you thought the out of focus part made it a disaster, but reframe the way you're looking at it. Reframe the way that you're seeing it or others see it. And having, that's what's so nice about learning in groups because you learn from what other people are doing and you can hear other people's opinion. You can feel so strongly and one person can say, I don't see it that way. But when five people say that they don't see it that way, it's easier to start looking at it in a different way. You're also protective of what you're making. You want it to be the best for you. And I mean, I struggle with that myself now. Like I see a painting and I don't love it, but somebody else does. And I'm like, God, oh, do I want to offer it out or not? And sometimes I just don't. But other times, you know, like when you, when you hear people, my husband's like, actually, that's really cool. Like, Is it though? I don't know. So. <laughs> Yeah. There's something about, you know, intuition and we go, Oh, I'm, I'm trusting my intuition. This is not good. Whatever it was that, that made you make it, that's your intuition too. And that's so interesting. It might be connecting to somebody else much more than it connects with you. And I'm, I'm similar to you. Like, I don't, I'm not thinking about what anybody else is thinking per se. I'm just going, I don't like this. This is not working for me. It's, it's hard to, like you said, if you're just on your own to see it any other way, but if you're in a group or if you're hearing from other people, you know, maybe there is something to it. Maybe there's a reason to dig deeper, to understand that piece a little bit more, or to make something from that piece. There were a few times that you've mentioned this sort of reframing and this idea of framing with your curatorial experience right out of grad school. And I just, I think it's so interesting when somebody has really continued to cultivate their creativity like you have and to cultivate the way that you see the world, it can turn everything or anything into art. And I know that you literally framed your father's math. Is that true? Is yes. That and in doing that and in, and in curating these photographs that were taken and these these letters and everything that, that you guys put together, it offers an audience a new way of seeing these things, an artistic way through an artist's eye. I think some people don't see art being artistic or being creative as just how you see the world. You know, if you are able to see the world and turn it around and focus on one aspect of it and showcase it as art, that's a gift to the world. I think. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, I, I encourage, I encourage the listeners to kind of embrace that and to go out into the world and to look at things a little bit differently or to notice how you look at things, because you may already see things with an artistic eye, but not everybody does. And so to reframe it and give it back to the world with that artist view is a gift, I think. And I also wanted to tap on this because it is so it's so dear to me, is motherhood. I know that you've really brought motherhood into your work, but I also heard you say that you took a break. And I'm just curious what that break was like for you. I know what it was like for me. <laughs> and I don't want to project any of my own. No, you know, I think that it wasn't necessarily intentional. It kind of happened naturally, you know, mm -hmm. and then pulling my way back in and trying to find... I think that that's why that blog that started was so good for me because it, it was just a small 
moment of my day, but I was being creative Mm -hmm. and I was using something that I, and so I pulled back in in slow ways, I guess. And, and I have both something I didn't talk about that was another struggle, but that I definitely used my photography for was all of my, I had my two boys close together, two years apart. And then it took six years before I was able to get pregnant with my daughter. And I had four losses in that time. And it was a really difficult time in trying to get pregnant. And again, I turned to my photography and, and I have, I have projects and photographs that nobody has ever seen and probably nobody will ever see. I mean, I took so, so many, especially in that time, things that were like I would have been flagged if I ever put them on Instagram and I considered putting them on, but like, I have a lot of pictures where I was bleeding and I would take pic and I would put on my vintage nightgowns and I would let them get stained in blood. And, you know, and that was a project that was for me and I needed that. And they're honestly hard to look at now because that was a real moment in my life. And every time that, whether it was a loss or it was just getting my period every time was another month. And it was another, you know, and those are a reminder of a time that was difficult. And that I used photography again to get through. I think that as, I mean, my, my oldest is 13. So I've been a parent now for a really long time and I've grown, I mean, I'm in my forties. So I've grown a lot over the last two decades as being an artist and being a mother and something that is important to me is that both I incorporate my children when they want to in my art and that they see me doing it mm. because I want it to just be part of what they see. And what I mean, and it is or besides, I mean, between the fact of like throwing paint or pouring paint or painting in my garage or doing a project upstairs or getting out a tripod and taking a picture, they've been part of that. It's just part of their childhood. It's what they see. It's what they do. They're allowed to jump in. They're allowed to, I was doing a mop painting a few months ago and Adelia came in and she wanted to make her own and her mop ended up on my painting and it was a disaster. (laughs) And I was like, all right, well, this is over and this is not going anywhere, but let's just play with it this time. And, but I want it to be fun and I want them to see that it's okay to make a mess. I mean, we make a mess and it is okay. And I want them to feel how expression in all different ways can be healing. And it depends on the child. My oldest is not the most artistic person. He, he does do music, but he is less likely to jump in the action. He's less likely to want to do it. And that's okay. I'm never going to push doing it where my middle child loves it. And, you know, that paint pour project was for him. It started for him and, and it's something that's grown and he loves and he has ideas about, and, you know, it's fun. It's nice. And it's, I don't know my little one, she just kind of does whatever now, but we'll see as she grows and she becomes her own little person, what she wants to do and doesn't want to do, but it is, it's so important to me that my children are witnessing it as much as being a part of it if they want to, but seeing that that's what I'm doing and seeing that it doesn't always work out. And sometimes it sucks. Like I can be doing things, making things, working on things, whether it's a video or a painting or a photograph and it doesn't work. And I was really worried about a commission and my 11 year old said to me, I guess it was a few months ago. He's like, it might not work out, but that's okay. I'm like, 
thanks for saying that. <laughs> I needed to hear that. You're right. He's like, you really look like you're stressed out about this. And I'm like, I really am. But you know, like I've said that to him a bunch mm-hmm. of times and now he's heard it enough that he's saying it to me when I'm not having the wherewithal to think it myself, but that's awesome. I love hearing that. I, I have a, a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. And when I had my nine-year-old, I was making dances all the time out in the world, not at home. Cause that's not something I can do easily at home. Or at least I thought that I thought that at the time. And I, you know, I had her, she was new and I had to kind of stop going into the studio for a while. So my, what I started doing is I started writing. It's kind of like how you said, you know, you, you went to, to the blog, which kept you creative. And I had always wanted to write. So I was able to really kind of get into that part of me. And then when I had my second, I felt like my brain was fogged where I couldn't, I couldn't make a dance and I couldn't write because I couldn't, you know, put two ideas together. And so that's when I started with dip dye fiber art. I could, I could do it much more for my body and less having to really put two clear ideas together. It felt more, I don't know, earthy and, and, and tactile. And that felt right for me at the time. But I love what you're saying about just really doing it in front of the kids, because that was hard for me sometimes. Like, don't, don't get near the die. Don't d- watch out. You're going to get. And I love, I love that idea because I have started doing more dance from my home. I have done some very small performances from my kitchen, but I sort of have thought like, I want my kids to be gone. And I think I'm going to change that way of thinking because I love what you're saying. I mean, it's not sustainable to try to do it without your family. How cool for them to be able to see you doing something that you love doing, you know, like, yeah. And look over the last 10 years, there have been moments that I have struggled more than others to feel good about what I was creating, or I would feel like I actually had a moment where I was in less emotional pain and I felt like I wasn't creating enough good stuff. Like it was way better when I was depressive, like, you know, like at least I was creating some amazing stuff in this deep, dark time. Now I have my daughter, things with my husband are better. Like I don't have any pain to pull from and that's terrible. Like what? And then I did, I like questioned, oh my God, I'm, do I have to be that like tortured artist or I can't be an artist? And so then I had to refigure out how to create and pull from other things and other experiences and other feelings almost and, and try to do like happy art. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and tell me more about that. What does that look like for you? And what, I mean, what have you pulled out? I think that that's where some of the fun performance stuff started to come from. You know, we were talking a lot about control and with my metal child and some of the stuff with the paint pours was like giving him control to be part of the art and collaborating. It's so interesting. So many people will say like, well, he's the artist, but it goes straight back to the curating or the idea or we're both the artists. I might be lying there and, but we're choosing the colors together. We're figuring out, we came up with a project together. We're learning about it together. And I feel like Yes, I will give him all the credit. I mean, I love that he does this, but art is so much about what you're putting together and we've curated this experience together and it has become the photographs that are taken, the performance that's happening, all of it. And those were kind of funner experiences that we pulled. I did a bunch of stuff with the smoke bombs and I thought my husband was involved in those. And that was 
you know, he's definitely my math brained other half and he does like a different side, but he kind of pulled in and he, we have some videos where he's barely visible, maybe his arm or for a second, but he's part of it too. And that was a really fun time when I started doing all of that and looking at art from a bit of a different perspective again. I mean, my thesis in grad school was actually a video installation and that was 2006. I mean, a long time ago. And so I've definitely come around mm -hmm. full circle in some ways. As a child, I did a lot of theater. I was in all the plays in high school. It's, it's something that I loved. So performance, it just comes back in different ways. And, and I think that that's a lot of where I'm going now too. I love the painting, but I love that the painting is becoming its own performance in its own ways. Almost every time that I paint for someone, I film it in some way or another. Yeah, I subscribed to your newsletter just the other day. And I saw that you wrote about that. You wrote about, you said that you had done a lot of, like you said, videoing and performing of it. Like I know when the video is on, there's an awareness of an audience. There's an awareness of a witness, but it's not the same as a live performance. So was that your first live performance of painting? Amazing. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. And then tell me a little bit more about your mop painting because I know that's one of the things, that's a long project you've had, right? I, I mean, the first one I did was eight years ago. And I guess for the first four years that I did it, it was kind of, it wasn't meant to be what it has become. Like I really made it a business, but I did it. I did a few for myself and for friends. I offered them to um, auctions. I tell people that that's one of my mm. pieces of advice is find great organizations in your city, big ones that the ticket to go to the auction costs a lot of money and then offer up your piece, maybe ask in exchange for the piece for a ticket. So you don't have to pay to be there, but you can meet some of the people that are there and somebody will buy your piece when you're there, but you can also network and hear if other people are interested and ask for their information so that you can tell them about when you do more stuff. And that's kind of how I started selling to strangers or people I didn't know, or my work ended up in other people's homes. I would ask them, can I have a picture once you hang my piece so that I can put it on my website? And that grew slowly. It's really because of social media and TikTok and having millions of people see my work. Millions of people hate it, but also plenty of people loved it. And I've been able to sell to people all over the world. And so that happened because of the visibility that I was able to get through platforms that you can reach people everywhere. That's really great advice. The auction piece, I'd never even thought of that. That's really, really great advice. And I hope some of our listeners it's really get that. All cities have organizations, you know, gardens and different things that they're trying to raise money and that they want things for their big silent auction. And so that's how I got some of my work in front of people that wouldn't have seen it and that liked it. Well, and you mentioned that there are people who hate your work. Tell hey, me about that. I, hey, I don't get it, but angry, tell me about it. <laughs> very angry and um, very upset. And it, it comes from two different groups of people, people who feel like art needs to take hours. You know, a video, you're seeing 11 seconds. You're seeing me speed something up. Now, look, my paintings do not take 24 hours that I paint over the course of six months. 
there are people that do that. And that is amazing. And that is their art. And I respect that 100%. My paintings take about an hour for me to do. And they look like they take 11 seconds because that's what you see on TikTok. Um, and that really pisses people off. They feel like time in should equal money out. They feel like anybody could do it. And I have an abundance mindset. I feel like there is room at the top for whoever wants to be there. I am showing you my process. Please go paint with a mop, go sell to people. I'm, I don't own it. I absolutely don't. And you know what? You can make an awesome painting for your own house. And so try to do it. Why not? I don't have a problem with that. I've never, I actually love seeing videos of people. You would be surprised how many people try and say, oh, that was harder than I thought it was going to be. It is so much about the restraint and it is about holding back and it takes practice and they don't all work out, which is why the live performance it's terrifying because what if I accidentally move the wrong way and it's not what I want it to be. But when I do it, I always look at, I do some, I stop, I look at it from above. I usually use my phone and I photograph it from above and I look at the picture and then I see where it needs space and, and where it needs more paint and where I feel like it would need more splatter or whatever. When I paint for myself or whatever I want, it's different than commissions. Commissions can be stressful because people are telling me the size and the color, fine. Like I've gotten people send me fabric swatches and they want a color match, that's fine. But I ask them to send me their three favorite pieces that I've made so that I have a direction. And some people have more of a specified idea of what they want than others. And I need to make sure that I'm fulfilling what they're hoping for. And that can be stressful because I want them to love it. I want to love it and I want them to love it. You don't have a lot of control with a really large and heavy paintbrush. And so you have to control it the best you can. And it's not always going to work the way you want it. And it's not always going to look good, but people don't understand that. And they want to think that a child can do it. And you know what? A child maybe can make, a, they could try and one out of five, or I don't know, could make an amazing one. I don't doubt that. So let them do it. I have to let it go and brush off my shoulder. I mean, I, I say that in art school, they rip you down to build you back up. And I'm no, I'm no novice to, to having to deal with criticism and art is, supposed to be criticized. Not everybody's going to like it. You cannot like what I make. You can look at it and say, I would never hang that in my house. But when you start to attack me as a person, that's where the line is crossed. And I, I've learned and I know that I'm never going to change their mind, but it can be painful to see people say really mean things. I get most upset when the hate that I receive involves me as a mother or my children, like then I just feel like mama bear. Like, <gasps> yeah. One thing that helps me. And I, I feel like it's so important because some people who are dealing with hate might not realize this. So I like to say it mm -hmm. is that you put, you put out there a great video and, and people love it and you get the likes and if they're coming in and you feel a rush from that, it feels good to put something out there that gets a lot of attention, whatever it is, and comments and whatnot. Well, differently than Instagram on TikTok, comments themselves get a lot of attention. So you can, I can have a comment that has 250,000 likes on it and 500 comments on that comment. 
So imagine the rush that that person mm-hmm. is getting from all of the likes on their comment and all of the comments being like, yeah. So what that actually does is it has these people sitting behind their keyboard trying even harder to say the most ridiculous thing. They're getting their own rush from this crazy comment, getting all this attention. The best thing I can do is find it, delete it and block them because then their rush ends. And that's where I get my control and my power. It's interesting when you look at it like that, because then it becomes less about you, even though it's not about you at all anyway, but this even shows more how it's about them and what they're getting out of it. That's really interesting. And that's a really good perspective to remember that because it makes somebody want to be more aggressive and more angry. The other thing that happens, and I see it, is that younger people see all these people saying something and it's so easy to jump on the bandwagon without actually realizing how mean it is. But I once had someone say something mean and I clicked on their page and they looked like a 10 year old girl. And and I was so shocked. And so I replied something like, did your mother teach you to say that or something? And the girl was horrified. She immediately apologized and said she didn't know I would ever see it. And she's and then she went above and beyond and found me on Instagram and sent me another DM apologizing for her message. And it made me realize that they don't even know what they're freaking doing. <laughs> don't, they don't realize there's a human. We have to educate them and say, like, I've given some talks. I, I gave a talk recently to some high school girls, and it was awesome because they just need an awareness. Like, there's somebody sitting there, and you don't think that it's affecting anything, or you're just jump. Everybody else said it. So, what difference does it make? But when everybody says that, then all of a sudden, I'm filled with all of this hate, and it's so icky. So, I have to just, you know, bad, it's like bad publicity could be positive or bad. <laughs> is bringing conversation and it's getting my paintings in front of people who wouldn't see it because it's causing me to go viral. And so it's just something that I have to deal with in the way that I've grown my business online. And, and it is what it is. And my backbone's a little stronger and I'm passionate about teaching kids why it's not okay and what's happening because I feel like awareness, it just takes paying attention to not make that comment then you've got the adults who are, have their own problems and are saying all these things or, you know, they say, I spent hours and hours on my piece of art and nobody sees it. And poor me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but try to approach it in a different way. Do things differently. Don't be angry at me because it's not working out for you. I want it to work out for you. You have such a great perspective on that. I'm sure it takes time and work to get into that headspace, but that's such a great space to be in. And I just want to honor your work because I see the history. Okay, 40 minutes, fine. An hour, fine. An hour and and eight years, Mm -hmm. an hour and 42 years. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's you, you're bringing your history to it. And I want to, I want to read a quote from your website talking about it talking about your your mop paintings, stemming from an artistic practice grounded in understanding movement, huge, restraint, really huge, something that we don't often think about, intuition, and spontaneity. I mean, those four things are things that really make you the artist you are, because I see the movement, not only in the, the sweeping of the paint and the paintbrush, 
and the patterns and the circular movements, but also in you. I mean, I, like you said, like it's this giant mop. So I would be so excited to watch you do it live because what is your body doing during this 40 minutes that other people's can't do? And then the restraint, because so many people just want to keep adding, adding, adding. And so much of what makes it beautiful is the space, the space that you give it to be. I just want to, I want to honor that. I'm an improviser. Oftentimes, if I make work on myself or on other people, I'm not giving them those specific movements. I'm not taking all that time to rehearse and get things perfect. It's, it's more of the, the practice of being and the practice of being in, the, in a certain headspace too. That takes time. That takes practice. That takes history. So I just want to honor that about your work. And I, I want to encourage people to recognize their own history and bring their own history and just trust their history. Because I feel like I see that in your work. I feel the trust in your experience. I think too, something to, to say to people when they want to create, and it's taken me a lot of time to get there. And it's something that through meditation actually has helped me. But when I go in to do a painting, my husband said recently, like I was in a really bad mood and I'm like, is it a bad idea or a good idea to go try to paint for someone right now? And I ended up loving what I did, but it, it's also a lot about stopping and saying, okay, how do I feel right now? Meditation doesn't need to be sitting still quietly with your eyes closed and breathing. It can actually be quietly doing something active if you're doing it in a mindful way. And I need before I paint or before I do what I'm going to do to be mindful and to stop and to think, okay, how is it that I'm feeling and how can I use that? And how can I pay attention to exactly what's happening in here in this moment right now? Take a deep breath and listen to the sound of the paint mixing and listen to the sound. I did music when I did it live to zone everybody else out, which I think was necessary because I was so nervous. But usually when I paint, it's quiet. And I'm listening to the sounds in the moment of what's happening. And I like that because it allows me to be really present and to think about how I'm feeling and to use that without going back to the past or worrying about the future, like really trying to be mindful. And it's a practice, but I think when people create art, when you dance, when whatever it is that you're doing, if you sit down for a second and you remind yourself to be in the moment and to start listening to the sounds of things happening, then it brings you into the moment. And then you can really create from a raw place where nothing else is infiltrating you. I love it. That is so beautifully said. Now you're talking about that your live paintings, are you going to, I want to know where you're going to next. You know, I, I think I'm excited about doing it again. And I, I do think I have something that's, I've got two shows in the new year that I'm excited about, one in Barcelona and one in East Hampton. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see what comes next. And I'm excited. To, I was really very afraid of that live painting. I wasn't when I agreed to do it. And then the closer it got, I started to get in my own head and think, you know, I can turn the camera off, throw the canvas away. Nobody ever knew that that happened if it's really a disaster. And that doesn't really happen. But I started thinking, but what if it does? And then all these people are there. And the people that were there that night were actually from the Perez Art Museum, which is like our big art museum here. So this is not just random people and my friends. These were important people. And so I I got in my head. I was like, what was he thinking? But it was actually kind of awesome. And so 
I look forward to doing it again. And I feel like I need to practice more, even if it means like inviting some people that I know to watch me do it, just so that it becomes, you know, like it becomes something that I do and that I get yeah. used to doing and I can yeah. do it. I know I can do it. It's, it's a mental game. So yeah. I, if you ever want anybody to watch over Zoom, <laughs> I'll show up. <laughs> I've done it live before. Actually, I should do it live again. That's yeah. Cause that's, that's similar. I guess I could do that, but yeah. Nice. So you've got something in Barcelona in and, and then I don't know the dates yet next summer, but, and hopefully there'll be more. So we'll see, but it's been, um, it's been a really exciting year. It really took off in December of last year. It was really, really grew like between September and December. So it's been a year that I'm painting a lot, a lot. And, and it's fun. And I don't know, I don't know exactly what's after this, but I'm enjoying this right now and, and we'll see. Well, congratulations. You so deserve it. Yeah. I'm really excited to see where you go and to continue following you. Where can listeners find you? On my website, which is www.carolynmara.com. My Instagram is carolyn underscore Mara. And my TikTok is Carolyn Mara. And you can sign up for my newsletter. I try to share more both personal information about certain things that are happening and also advice on growing an art business and growing any kind of, you know, how I've done it and just little tidbits like that. And, and they can sign up for that on your website. There's a link to sign up for that. And yeah. it's called, I love what it's called. It's called what the unapologetic artist, unapologetic artist. I love that. I feel like it's so, it's such a great title. It's such a great name. Like when I hear that, the unapologetic part, I can take a deep breath and just know that I'm, I'm witnessing you. I'm not witnessing. So many people don't, you know, that they, they, they want to try to not call me an artist, but I'm going to own that. I'm an artist. I'm an artist. I feel that. I feel like I've always been an artist and, and I feel like anybody can be an artist if they want to. And I wish people could have that mentality, but we'll get there. Carolyn, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. That conversation was so juicy. Here are some of my takeaways. One, instead of trying to create the best everything, choose one idea and take a deep dive. There is so much value in creating a project, a focus, a direction for your art. Two, be able to say why. Being an artist is so much more about what you're feeling, what you're trying to convey, and putting something together that is meaningful to you. Three, find ways to make art out of things that might not necessarily be considered art. Reframe it and share it with the world. Four, incorporate your children and family into your process whenever possible. Allow them to witness what you do and that it doesn't always work out. Five, Find auctions in your city and offer up your artwork in exchange for a ticket and a chance to network with others who will love your art as well. Six, not everyone is going to like your art, but if they attack you as a person, that crosses a line. Educating our youth about social media can help them understand that there is a real person behind these accounts. Seven, when you create art, remind yourself to be in the moment and start listening to the sounds in your space. Then you can create from a raw place where nothing else can infiltrate you. 
and eight, own calling yourself an artist and don't apologize for it. Thank you so much to Carolyn Mara for being my first guest on this show. Go follow her on Instagram and TikTok. And if you want more of her great insights, sign up for her newsletter. And thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. And if you want to share your thoughts and takeaways with me, you can find me on Instagram at Alicia Peterson Baskell. And I will see you again next week with another artist. Have a wonderful and creative week. Until then.